It's what this entire message is based on. Actually, the next two weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about blind spots. Amen. Blind spots. And so I was definitely, that was this, this whole graduation thing was a blind spot for me. I had no clue they were doing that. So thank y'all. That was uh, super cool. I really appreciate it. Um, but blind spots. Blind spots. Y'all know what a blind spot is? A blind spot. The definition of a blind spot is any area where a person's view is obstructed. Right? Blind spots. We all got them. Amen? Every single one of us has them. You know, Rachel recently uh, got a new car. And uh, before, before the car she has now, she had a, a Kia Sorento. Right? Kia? It's a good car. It's a good car. Nice car. We drove the snot out of it, and it, it, was, it was faithful to the end. But it had an end, amen? And, um, but, you know, we, the day we were going to get her new car, uh, we were getting onto the highway, onto Highway 71 here in LaGrange, and I was moving over in the lanes of traffic, and Rachel screams at the top of her lung, Colby, watch out! And I mean millimeters away is a car that I didn't see. It was in my blind spot. Has that ever happened to anybody else? Am I the only one? Am I the only one? And so we drive to, to, to Katie and we, we, we get in this, this new car. And uh, first thing I noticed about the new car is, first of all, it's got so much stuff, right? There's stuff everywhere. But the coolest thing about the new car is is the blind spot awareness zone. Are y'all with me? If you get a new car, like 2018, there are no more blind spots. They have figured out a way for you to see above the car, beneath the car, beside the car, behind the car, in front of the car. It's un... I think there's a drone that follows me around. I'm not joking. When I park in a parking spot, I, I, I see in front of me, I see behind me, there's another, I don't know how it does it. Satellite imagery, I don't know what happens, but I can see above me. Like, I can see how straight I am in the lines in my parking spot. I've become completely obsessed with, with parking now. I don't park unless I'm equally distanced between the two lines and no can't be crooked any, but it's really unbelievable. I mean, this is, this is, it's, it's unreal. And, and when you're driving down the road in this car, on my mirror, on both mirrors, there's little yellow arrows that light up when someone's in my blind spot. This, this is incredible. I don't know, how, how do you do this? And so it knows, and I, and I look, and I know because the yellow arrow is on, somebody, somebody's in my blind spot. And so if I choose to ignore the yellow arrow and I begin to get over, it gives me a left buzz on my butt cheek. <laughs> True story. True story. <laughs> True story. I mean, it just gives you a little, just a little buzz. If I choose to ignore the buzz, a red flashing light appears, I don't know where it comes from, on the windshield. I mean, this has got blind spot indicators all over the place. When I'm backing out of a parking spot, it sees cars coming 
down the street. That, and in my rear camera, it'll show me an, an indicator, little flashing arrow, and it points that way, telling me, hey, dude, a car's coming from that way. Don't back out yet. Right? If I choose to ignore the indicator that somebody's coming and I proceed to back out, it gives you a double buzz, right and left. <laughs> and, and so you, and, and you know what happens if I choose to ignore that, then the, and I ignore these things all the time just because I want to see what happens next. <laughs> I'm pretty sure after the red light, you just crash. You're done, right? But, you know, it's just, it's amazing blind spots and there's they're all over the place and 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 vehicle manufacturers have figured out a way to warn us of blind spots to hopefully reduce the number of accidents and i think god has done the exact same thing in our lives amen raise your hand if you have a blind spot well how do you know you can't see it that was a trick question right we just know by faith we have blind spots. Amen? Right? Right? But let's listen to what the scripture says. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There is a spiritual race. If you're born again, there is a race that God has you on there is a race that you're running and whether you're winning or not i don't know that's between you and god but there is a race that you're on there is a a a course that you're on just like there is whenever you get in your car and you drive to lunch today or drive home today after church there's a course that you have to take right turn left turn hop on the bypass get off whatever it is there is a race that you're that you're running and god has indicators for us to warn us of blind spots. So he's telling us, hey, while you're running your race, there's something that's going to be there to try to take you out. Are y'all with me? But look what he says in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. Remember, a blind spot is any area where a person's view is obstructed. Looking unto Jesus. So he didn't just tell us we're running a race. He tells us where to focus. He tells us where to focus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What God does is he says, hey, hey, Colby, as you're running this race, as you're living out your Christianity day to day, whether it's at home, on the job, you're at church, doesn't matter, look unto Jesus. And here's why. Because, and then he tells us where Jesus is. He's the author, right? He, he, he knows about things before they ever happen. Why? Because he wrote the story. He's the author, and then he's the finisher, right? He's been to the finish line of our faith. He's mapped out the course before we're ever there. We, we've ever arrived there. He's the author and the finisher. And then it says, he's sitting at the right hand of God on the throne of God. So not only has he been behind us and before us, ahead of us, he's above us, right? Satellite imagery. He's the drone that can see what we can't see. He is the panoramic. He has a panoramic view of our lives. So it would do us good as we're running our race 
in order to not get tripped up and taken out of our race, to look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus who has the panoramic view of our lives. And if he knows what's ahead, then how many of you know if there's a turtle in the road ahead? I saw a turtle yesterday. That's why I'm thinking of it. If there's an obstacle in the road ahead and God has a panoramic view, he sees it before I can see it. Do you think that a good God would warn us? Do you think that a good God would tell us? Or do you think he's like, (laughs) they're fixing to crash and burn. I'm going to love every second of it. Absolutely not. He's given us indicators. There are things trying to knock us out of our race, and we all have them. Blind spots can cost us everything. They can cost us everything. We're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus because he has the panoramic perspective of our lives. He's given us the Holy Spirit who provides us with indicators, alarms, warnings, and alerts to help us see what we can't see. You know, Muhammad Ali, he said, it's not the the hardest punch that knocks you out. It's the punch you didn't see. Right? Listen, the very nature of a blind spot is this. Everyone can see it except for those who need to see it the most. I don't want to be blind. It's like the person that you're talking to and they have like a whole lettuce leaf on their tooth. And you're like, oh, Jesus. And they're just happy. (laughs) Like they're showing the thing off, right? And you're like, should I tell them or should I not? Can I tell you something? Real friends tell people about stuff in their teeth. Real friends tell people stuff in their nose. Can we just all agree that we're a church that has each other's back? Can I tell you why you need to have each other's back? Because it's coming around. It's going to happen. You're going to get something in your teeth. You're going to get something in your nose. And you're going to wish somebody told you. Can I get an amen? amen. Mm, that's, that's good. I don't know who that's for. <laughs> Take it. Well, if I got something in my teeth, my wife's the best. She'll tell anybody. I'm like, don't tell them, babe. Don't tell them. That's too embarrassing. They have, they, 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 they have given birth out of their nose and they have no clue. <laughs> Don't tell them that's, I'm, you're just so, you're just so hurt for the, you know what I mean? She don't care. She, she tells him she's a good friend. She's a good friend. Listen to what Warren Buffett said about blind spots. What the human being is best at doing is interpreting all new information so that their prior conclusion remains intact. Blind spots are nasty. They're nasty. And see, that's what God does. God gives us new information, but we take that new information. If we don't have a heart to change and grow, then we will interpret that information in order to keep our old ways intact. That's crazy. I do not want to be that person. Nobody wants to be that person. Amen? We all have blind spots, but we don't have to keep them. We have to be willing to confront the worst in ourselves so we can see the best in ourselves. We're going to look at Psalm 51 and uh, dive deeper into blind spots. And it's such a, it's such a a, a good Psalm and uh, you, you were encouraged on your email to read it and then 
We just played it on the screen. And Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance. It's a psalm of David had just royally, literally royally, because he was a king, royally, that was funny. (laughs) He royally messed up. I mean, he really, really, really made some big mistakes. And uh, there were some blind spots in his life, but there were some indicators that were going off that he ignored He makes the mistake. He's still blind to the fact that he makes the mistake. But when he finally sees it, we we, we see Psalm 51 written as a psalm of repentance, right? It's a psalm that says, God, I have messed up. Would you please forgive me? Oh, merciful God. Oh, merciful God. You've seen my sin. It's before you. Would you please not wipe me from the face of the earth? It's funny, you know, I noticed something about reading Psalms. I've been reading Psalms because uh, we're, we're in Psalms all summer. And, and so I've just been reading through the Psalms. And when somebody does something mean to David, he writes a Psalm like this. God, where are you? Don't you see the punks that are messing with me? I'm your servant. I'm your child. Vindicate me according to your righteousness. Wipe them from the face of the earth, the scum that they really are. That's just paraphrase. That's what David writes when somebody does wrong to him. But when David does wrong to somebody else, he writes a psalm like this. Oh, merciful and loving God, (laughs) treat me according to your loving kindness. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not from your presence. We, we like ourselves a whole lot more than we like other people, don't we? That's what I appreciate about David. Because how many of us do that, right? Somebody, somebody looks sideways at our kid while they're in... Ki- somebody takes our kid's kindergarten crayon and we're like calling down curses on them, Right? Are are we, are, we can go and do something absolutely crazy and we're like, I just hope everybody understands. (laughs) Wait, wait, you just condemned a five-year-old to hell and you want, don't we serve a good God? And it's so good that he, he uh, not only puts up with us, but he forgives us and gives us purpose. Bunch of people with a bunch of blind spots. But his mercy and his goodness says you don't have to stay blind in the areas that I long for you to see. Now, here's the disclaimer. Here's what you have to know. Because, because here, here's, here's, here's what you don't do. You don't leave a message like this because we all got blind spots. And you don't go out on a quest on your own to discover all of your blind spots. You'll hurt yourself, right? You will injure yourself. But here's what God in his goodness does. He doesn't show us all of our mess at once. Oh my God, help me Jesus. Thank you God. What if he just right now supernaturally opened your eyes and allowed you to see every area of your life that you're not walking in accordance with him? Well, you would die of a heart attack. You would you would you would completely your brain would pop. You wouldn't even know how to handle it. But what God does in his loving kindness, his tender mercies, is he shows us one thing at a time. One thing. 
He says, Colby, here's an area that I see in your life that's hindering you in your race, in your walk with me. It's hindering you in your relationship with me. And I love you so much that I don't want you to keep walking around with the lettuce in your teeth, right? I love you so much. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you about this area of your life. And then we have a choice to respond to what the Holy Spirit is telling us. So he's not telling us we've got to change everything. He's just really probably only asking for one thing in your life. Am I right? You could probably think of the one thing right now because your, your, your blinker's been going off on this side and it's been indicating on this side. You've seen it on the, the, the rear camera and it's, bzzz, it's buzzing you, right? And God's saying, let's deal with this. Let's grow. There's something. And you say, I don't want to look at it because I know that it's a nasty part of my life, but I've got to be willing to confront the worst in me if I'm going to discover the best in me. Amen? So, so Psalm 51, I want to read you the verse uh, or, or the, the, the title before Psalm 51, verse 1. Lots of psalms have, have titles before them, and they give us a, 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 a background about where the, where the psalm was written, why the psalm was written, the conditions that was going on when the psalm was written, so it helps you understand the psalm. It's called the superscription or the title of the psalm. So here's what Psalm 51 says right before verse 1. It says, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had com- committed adultery with Bathsheba. So now we know. David wrote this psalm right after Nathan, the prophet, had approached David and said, hey, David, we got to sit down and talk. You slept with Bathsheba. And David's like, Whoa. So we know that Psalm 51 is a response to that confrontation. But so so, so just a little background on David and Bathsheba and what happened is David is a king. He's ruling, he's 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 ruling over Israel, and and so he's a king and, and he's at the wrong place at the wrong time. He should have been out with the kings to war, but instead he stayed home and he's walking out on the roof of his palace and he looks over and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. And David goes, hmm, that wife isn't that pretty. And that wife isn't that pretty. And, but that woman, fine. And so he says, I want her calls her to the palace he commits adultery he sleeps with her turns out Bathsheba is the wife of a man named Uriah Uriah is out fighting for King David he is a crazy awesome warrior out fighting for King David so David sleeps with Bathsheba Bathsheba texts him one night right a few weeks later David, we got a problem. And he's like, sup? And she says, I'm pregnant. And he's like, WTH, right? <laughs> I, don't you? There, there is one mystery that I really will never understand in life. It's like people sleep together. 
and then someone gets pregnant. And people are like, what? How did this happen? Well, well. <laughs> I'm serious. I love my parents, but this is the testimony of all four of their children. Seriously, they tell us all the story of, of, of our birth and everything, and it always begins with a phone call. Robert, I'm pregnant. Julie, how did this happen? <laughs> well, what had happened was... <laughs> so David, 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 you, you slept with her. She got pregnant, right? This is what happens, right? This is the way God created it. And, and, so, and so that it is funny, but a lot of times, you know, it just, it just blows my mind. It's just people don't quite understand. Come talk to me, call a meeting, and I will explain to you in detail how this is happening. <laughs> my dad, I hope my dad don't call. <laughs> that would be so weird. I love my parents, y'all. I really do. I forgot what I was talking about. So, so, so Bathsheba gets pregnant, and so David devises a plan. He devises this plan not to own up. He says, I'm going to get Uriah to come back from war. I'm going to get him drunk, and he's going to go home, sleep with his wife. Everybody will think that it's his baby. Sounds like a decent plan. The only problem is Uriah was a loyal Listen to me. Uriah was more loyal to God in the king drunk than David was sober. David gets him drunk and he remains more loyal to God in the kingdom than David does sober. Uriah is a man of honor. He doesn't go home. He's not going to go home and enjoy his wife while his, while his friends and his comrades are out on the battlefield dying. He's a man of honor. And so Uriah doesn't take David's bait. He doesn't do David's plan. I'm sure David was pretty irritated. And so David devises another plan. He calls up Joab, the captain of the army, and he says, Joab, put Uriah at the front of the battle where the fighting is the fiercest so that he'll get killed. And that's exactly what happened. Joab, the commander of the army, puts Uriah at the front of the battle where the fighting is the fiercest, and Uriah is killed in battle. So David calls up Bathsheba and says, you're not going to believe it. Your husband died. You can come be my wife now. Scumbag. I mean, scumbag. Aren't you all disgusted with David right now? And then there's this really cool encounter that happens. God sends Nathan, the prophet. Zoe, you can come up and help me right now. And Zoe's going to read some, some verses. Um, so y'all, y'all stay clued in. So this is after Uriah has died and David has taken Bathsheba to be his wife. This is Nathan, the prophet, comes in and has some words for David. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. 
The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own cheaper cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave, you your, I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad, in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but because you have done this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. The son born to you will die. Wow. <clears throat> Thank you, Zoe. Wow. Isn't this a, a, a crazy encounter? Nathan comes and, and he lays out this story of a man who had done exactly what David had done. And David's like infuriated. He's like, Nathan, you bring this guy to me and he is going to pay for his, I'll kill, I'm going to kill this fool. And Nathan looks at him and says, David. See, David had a blind spot. David had a blind spot. And it's so obvious to us, right? It's so obvious to us, even if you don't know the outcome of the story, whenever you hear Nathan telling this story about this guy and his lamb, you know, oh my God, that's talking about David. But David can't see it. Isn't it scary that we could be that deceived? Isn't it scary that we could be that blind in an area of our lives? But I think we've got to go back through and look at some of the indicators because God knew exactly where Bathsheba was going to be. God knew exactly what was going on. And I don't think God left David hanging. I think there were some indicators in his life to help him avoid this disaster. It cost him a baby. The sword, listen to me, you read about David's family from this moment on and it's nothing but, but deception and incest and, and horrible, awful things in his family. You think your family's jacked up? Check out David's family. You'll be like, we're the Brady Bunch. <laughs> this dude had a jacked up family. 
because it was a consequence of his sin. But there's got to, there had to have been some indicators. So there's some indicators. I'm going to talk about three indicators that, that you might have a blind spot and God might be trying to get your attention, not because he's mad at you, because he loves you. Listen to me, that thing doesn't blink on my mirror because it hates me. It's not taunting me. It's saying, Colby, don't change lanes right now. I'm protecting you. You've got kids in the car, man. You've got a wife in the car, man. Listen to me. You've got people that aren't yours. There's somebody else. I haul my kids' friends around all the time. You want me being dangerous with your kids? But see, we don't understand the ramifications of our actions and ignoring the promptings of the Holy Spirit. It's not just going to mess us up. Kobe, you've got kids in the car. You've got an anointing. You've got a calling. You've got a destiny. Kobe, you're responsible not just for your people, but all the people I've placed in your life. Your actions will reverberate, will ripple into all the people that are in your life. I want to see these things that I can't see now. Indicators that you might have a blind spot. The first one is frustration. Frustration. David got Bathsheba pregnant and then her husband wouldn't go along with David's plan to fix it. You better believe He was frustrated. He was frustrated. And even before that, maybe David sitting around the house when he should have been out leading the battle, leading the charge. And he's like, man, just frustrated. Frustrated. Things aren't working out. I'm frustrated. Let me ask you something. Are you in a frustrated season of your life? I think God uses frustration to lead us to revelation. Right? That frustration is pushing us to a place of saying, Fine, God, what is it you want to do in me? God, what is it that you're trying to show me? Frustration. Frustration is the first indicator. What are you frustrated about today? I didn't say you're going to like the indicators, but I think there's some things blinking in our lives right now, and they're the mercies of God. And we have a choice. You know what else my wife's car does? If I start drifting over out of my lane, the steering wheel bumps me back over into my lane. I thought a ghost was in the car the first time. I was like, Jesus, take the wheel. It's all you, God. This is all you, Lord. But it wasn't. It was just the... It'll I'm, go over to this side. Poof, it'll bump you back over. Poof, it'll bump you back over. It's not, but you know what I can do? The only way you can change lanes without it trying to bump you back over is to turn your blinker on. I don't like turning my blinker on. Right? You're just cruising along. You, so you know what you can do? You can override the bump. It's like push you over, and I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand who's driving here. And I can force myself to do what it told me not to do. You see these indicators, they're bumps. They're they're just little nudges like, hey, 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 come on, come on. There's something I want to show you. You're in some dangerous 
waters here. You're, 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 you're getting off course from what I have for your life. Bump. And you can say, but you don't understand who's driving. You don't understand who's in control here. Mm. And that's what I do when I drive. It makes me feel like, yeah, ain't no car going to tell me what to do. <laughs> Frustration. The second thing, an indicator that there might be a blind spot in your life is justification. Somewhere along the way, David began to justify his actions while he would not have approved of the same actions by somebody else against his family. Somewhere along the way, David had to make it okay inside of himself to sleep with another man's wife. You know, the other ones just aren't doing it for me anymore. You know, they've, they've gotten older and I'm just being real right now. They're, uh, the old gray mare just ain't what she used to be. So, so, so some justification begins to come, right? Some justification begins to come. And then David goes there. And then he has to begin to justify killing a man. Would David have approved of any of these actions of somebody else doing them? Absolutely not. The only way we can walk in that level of hypocrisy is to justify our own actions while condemning others. We've got to somehow, and I don't know the roadmap of your heart and your brain but see, all, the Holy Spirit can sort all this stuff out. It's so good. You're like, how? I'm like, I don't know. He just makes connections in places that there weren't connections before. See, only the Holy Spirit can show you areas of your life where you've justified your sin while at the same stinking time condemning others. Justification. Why is it okay that I act this way? Why is it okay that I stay locked up in my sin, but we want other people to come out of theirs. Why is it okay? Because I've justified the actions. Why? Because we've all heard the, the, the saying, we, justif- we, we, we judge ourselves according to our, what? Intentions. We judge other people according to their actions. So I can slap you in the face and say, but I know my heart in slapping you in the face. You slap me in the face, and I'll be like, why'd you slap me in the face? When we begin to justify the wrong that we're in and try to make it right, we know this is an alarm that's going off. This is a warning. The seat's buzzing. The steering wheel's moving. Hey, 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 hey. Why is that okay for you, but it's not okay for other people? God's trying to tell us something. It's an alarm that's going off. The third indicator. It's a tough one. It's frustration justification, the third one is indignation. It just means anger. I just used the big word because it rhymed with frustration and justification. Indignation, right? The Bible says when when Nathan came to David, David's like, it says he burned with anger. He burned with anger towards what this guy and the little lamb had done. He burned with, With anger, when Nathan told him the story, listen to me, the thing that we hate the most in others is often the thing that we are the most blind to 
in our own lives. Yes, I don't even want to amen that either. I don't even like saying it. I don't like saying that. Until I, like, well, I didn't say it. The Bible did. Romans 2, 1. Therefore, you have no excuse or defense or justification, O man, whoever you are who judges and condemns another. For in posing as a judge, in passing sentence on one another, you condemn yourself. Listen to this. Because you who judge are habitually practicing the very same things that you censor and denounce. This is not a 100% rule, but often in your life, the thing that you hate the most in others is the thing that you're the most blind to in yourself. So pay attention. These are indicators. They're flashing lights. They're buzzing seats. They're bumping steering wheels. And see, right now, you are, you've already thought about the person who irritates you the most, and you've already said, the devil is a lie. <laughs> I, I know it. Why? Because I do the same thing. Who irritates you the most? What qualities about people make you the most angry? Which ones hurt you the most? I'm not guaranteeing it, but I'm saying there's a pretty good chance that these might be indicators of blind spots in your own life. And you're like, I just, I'm not sure that, that, that until one day the Holy Spirit says, let me show you something. Colby, let me show you something. You know how you just did that? Uh-huh. That's the same thing they did that irritates you. Yeah, but mine was different. No. No, it wasn't. It's just as deplorable to me as what they did. Isn't it crazy we all grow up with people that hurt us? People that left us, people that abused us. And we make it our life's quest to not be like them. And then somehow... We wind up being just like them. And everybody knows it that's in your life, but you. As far as you're concerned, you're so much not like them. You're like the complete opposite of them, but everybody around you is going, oh my God, the apple don't fall far from the tree. And if somebody were to tell you, you would probably slap them in the face. That's why you got to be careful what you tell people because I ain't getting slapped in the face. You can slap Holy Spirit, right? He does a way better job. But isn't that crazy? So, so, so here's what we do. In order to not be like that person that, we're, that, that, that has disappointed us so much and hurt us so much, we set out our life's quest is to not become our father or not become our mother or not become that person that hurt us. And we spend our whole life not becoming something. My life's quest, I'm cool with whatever happens in life as long as I'm not like my mom. I'm just saying that for example. (laughs) Right? I'm cool with whatever happens in my life as long as I don't turn out like so-and-so. And you'll approach a situation, you'll be like, well, I know so-and-so did this, so I'm gonna do this. 
and we spend our whole lives not being something when the scripture says that the way to live is by being something. Amen? John 1.12 says that he's given us the right to become sons of God. Not the right to not become our mother. Not the right to not become our father. Not the right to not become the person that wounded us and hurt us. Listen to me. If you don't want to be like them, then become a son. Become God's child. Amen? We're not making it our life's quest to not be like something. Because if we do, that is the way the flesh handles your problems And if you do, then you will eventually circle back around and be the thing that you didn't want to be. It says it in uh, Romans chapter 2. You habitually practice the very thing that you condemn. Find a guy who hated his drunk daddy and 30 years later, here he is. Becoming that thing, what burns in you about people? And would you be bold? See, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people today. Blind spots, exposing blind spots in our lives are for people who are interested in becoming sons and daughters of God. They're interested in growing who, who, who God has called them to be and not keeping the things that are crippling their faith. That's who I'm talking to this morning. Would we be so bold as to say, Holy Spirit, you know, So-and-so really irks me. Why? (laughs) Well, Colby, I'm glad you asked. Let me show you some things. And see, you would think that you would be totally devastated when you find that out, and momentarily you are. Don't you know David was devastated when he found out he was the one that he hated? He was totally devastated, but it saved his life. It literally saved his life his life. His future depended on seeing the truth about himself. Are there any people in here that want to grow? Are there any people in here that want to go? Amen? Only the Holy Spirit can cause us to see our blind spot. That's why David's prayed in Psalm 51 11, don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Listen to me. He's like, God, God's already announced that he's going to kill his child. God's already announced that calamity will follow his family forever. And and David does not cry out for any of them. David says, God, if I'm going to live, I can only live one way. Please, God, God, do not take the Holy Spirit from me. He's my only shot at making it. I know that I'm going to have to suffer the consequences of my decision and ignoring the indicators trying to show me the blind spots that I have. I realize that. But God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me because only he can lead me in your ways. A blind spot is anywhere where your view is obstructed. So if if you want to get rid of a blind spot, you've got to do what? Change your view. Change your view. For, for, for all of you that have vehicles that don't have space shuttles following you, in order to check your blind spot, what do you got to do? You got to change your view. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit changes our view. How? He changed our view three ways. Number one, through the word. He changes our view through the word. 
through the word of God. Listen to what James 1.22 says. It says, don't listen to the word so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. God's word is a mirror, right? The Holy Spirit gives us God's word and it reflects on us and it speaks to us and it shows us the difficulties in our lives and it leads us in his ways. So we've got to open our word and say, Holy Spirit, let me find me in here. Let me find me in this book. Because I don't know about you, I don't have my phone with me. You've got a camera on your phone, right? Camera on your phone, you turn that thing on and it's looking at you. But now my my new phone, it's got a front-facing camera. And so I just hit flip and now I don't see me anymore, I see you. Isn't that what a lot of us do with the word of God? We hit flip on the word of God and we're like, oh my God, I cannot believe. Oh, there they are. There they are. There. Oh, look at Zoe. She is right there in verse 17. Mm, mm, I hope she can see that, Lord. God, show her. Holy Spirit. Just, oh, and look, oh, Rennie. There she is. Oh, Jesus. Show her mercy, God. We hit the flip button on our word, but this is not supposed to be a binoculars or a telescope. This is a mirror that reflects our life. Amen. Holy Spirit wants to use the word of God. He wants to use worship. This is how he changes our point of view. He wants to use worship. Number two, listen to what it says, Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, in view of God's mercy, To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Worship always changes your point of view. What did did, uh, Paul say? He said, "I, I want you to see this in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. He's like, hey, your viewpoint, you've got to look at this according to God's mercy if you want to see this. Listen, you can't worship and stay funky. Why? Because worship changes your viewpoint. God, you're awesome. God, you're amazing. You're holy. You're righteous. God, this is, and all of a sudden, your your view changes from your problem, from your difficulty to the mercies of God. Now the Holy Spirit is in a position where he can speak to you. God has spoken to me so many times at an altar during times of worship, things about my life, things about my family, things that he wants to change and do. The word, worship, and here's the last one. The most irritating one, number three, people. The Holy Spirit will use people to change your point of view. He uses people to allow us to see things in ourselves that we couldn't see before, but we have to be careful who we let speak into our lives. People. And right now, so many people got excited because everybody loves being a Nathan. Everybody loves being a Nathan. Hey, let me tell you what's wrong with you. Sharita, come here. I see something in your life that needs to change. No, I'm just kidding. Right? Everybody loves being a Nathan. Nobody likes being a David. Right? But at at, at some point in our lives, if you can't be a David, then you'll never have the right to be a Nathan. Holy Ghost police running around the church. Right? 
Ooh, I see that in you. Right? And then they see that in you, and then everybody's just mad at each other. See, I like what, what uh, it said about Nathan. It says that, that, that the Lord sent Nathan to David, and Nathan went. See, I invite people who God has sent into my life to speak into my life. But if you're just talking into my life just because you don't like me, then I don't want to hear what you have to say. You know, there was a time, I'm, I'm preaching too long. Oh, well, here we go. I love you, Rachel. Dang it. I was going to do it today, y'all. I was going to preach for the right amount of time. Um, but there was a time up here that we had a little fun thing. I don't know if it was a fundraiser or something that we did. We did it in front of the whole church. And, and uh, we had people come up, and I think it was me and Pastor and several people come up, and, and people were going to get to put a pie in our face. And all that was was whipped cream and a pie tin. And gonna put, and it was just going to be good fun. And, right? That's fun. Putting pies in people's face, that's fun. And, uh, and the guy that came up and put the pie in my face, I knew that the dude had issues with me. And so I thought maybe this is a mistake. But he, we gave him this opportunity to put a pie in my face for the good of the cause and everybody have fun. And uh, he came up and it's just a pie tin with whipped cream in it. And he, whenever he put that pie in my face, Mikey, it's a true story. One of the biggest tests of my faith. He takes that pie and he takes it and he, he doesn't just put it in my face. He slams it in my face. Tears well up in my eyes. Can you get your nose popped? Tears well up in my eyes. I was, I almost, I almost ended his life right in front of the whole church. (laughs) But see, that guy took advantage of a situation to where he had me in a vulnerable place. And I think that's what a lot of times people use criticism and critique and, and they say they're trying to help you, but there's, if there's still ill will in their heart towards you, and so they're going to take it, and, and, and they're like, but it was the truth. He's like, you said put a pie in my face, you just didn't say how hard I could hit you. Bless your own heart. So what we'll do is, is, is we see faults in others, and we see difficulty in others, and if we've got ill in our heart towards that person, we might just add a little extra... <clears throat> If you give me feedback about my life or if you critique my life or if, if you have criticism or, or you say God showed me something about my life but you do it to inflict pain and wound, well, there's something wrong with what you've done. See, we can't use the excuse of saying, well, I just wanted to be there for my brother so they could see their blind spots. No, you just tried to hurt me. You're not interested in my life at all. Listen, there's some traits of people that can speak into my life. And here's what they are. Number one, they're committed to God. They're committed to God. Samuel, I mean, uh, Nathan was committed to God more than he was committed to David. That's who I want speaking into my life. He was committed to God more than he was committed to David. So you speak into my life if you're committed to God. Number two, they've cried with you. You see, Nathan cried with David. He didn't just criticize David. Nathan presided over the funeral of that dead baby. 
Nathan was there on David's deathbed when, when uh, his son tried to hijack the kingdom from Solomon. And Nathan had to go tell him, your son is doing this terrible thing. Nathan cried with David whenever one of his sons raped his daughter. Nathan cried with David more than he criticized David. You cried with me? Have you? Then let's talk. You wept with me? You felt my pain? You put yourself in my shoes? Let's talk. But if all you've ever done is sit on the outside and look and judge and critique and criticize, you've got ill in your heart towards me, save your words. You're not from the Holy Spirit. I promise. The last thing is, they're committed to God, they've cried with you, and they have clapped for you. I'm trying to tell you that these are the kind of people that you allow to speak into your life. Somebody come and say, God gave me a word from you, and I'll say, wait a minute, they're not committed to God, this is their first Sunday at church. They don't even know who I am. Pastor, people come up all the time trying to give us words after church. We've never seen them from Adam. You've never cried with me. You're not committed to my life and my calling. God didn't send you. And you've never celebrated with me. Nathan celebrated with David. Nathan helped David draw the plans of the temple that, his son, that Solomon would build. Nathan and David, they're pouring over the plans saying, this is it, this is God's house. David, we got it. Solomon's going to build this house. Yes. Nathan dedicated his babies. Nathan was Solomon's tutor. Nathan was the one who placed the crown on Solomon's head. Nathan was there. Nathan was committed to God. Nathan cried with David and Nathan celebrated David. He clapped for David. That's why Nathan had an audience to speak into David's life and show David an area that he was blind to. So put away your badge, Holy Ghost cop. There's one sheriff in town and he has no deputies. Amen? He's got this. That's why family and commitment is so important in the house of God. Don't you let anybody speak into your life. They may have clapped with you and cried with you, but they're not committed to God. Be careful. They might even be blood kin. Be careful. Who are we allowing to speak into our life? God uses his word, he uses worship, and he uses people to change our point of view and cause us to see something that we've never seen before. Amen? Hallelujah. What do I do if I discover a blind spot? You do just what David did. You repent. You repent. God, I've seen this now. I've seen this area that I'm blind in my life. You've showed it to Holy Spirit has made this so real to me. I see this area of my life. And you're not showing me because you're mad at me or because you hate me. You're showing me because you love me and you want me to grow. And I'm willing to confront the worst in me so I can discover the best in me. It's a tough message, huh? It's a, tough, it's a tough one. Next week, we're going to keep talking about blind spots. 
but they're not going to be about our blind spots. They're going to be about God's. Because I want to tell you something. You say, God has a blind spot. Yeah, ours are negative. His are positive. See, because every single time we begin to see an area of our life that needs to be repaired and fixed by the power of God, then he shows us another portion of his life that we couldn't see before. I want to see the stuff in me that I couldn't see before because it opens my eyes to the stuff in God that I couldn't see before. That's why it's so important. God, show me. Open my eyes to the areas that I have been blind. And as you do, you will open my eyes to areas of your life and your goodness that I've never seen before. That is growth. Amen? So next week, we're going to talk about some of the stuff that we've never seen in the life of God. And it's going to be awesome. But today, I just want to do something real simple. You say, you say, Colby, I'm, I'm willing to ask the Holy Spirit to show me an area of my life that doesn't line up with him. No matter how devastating it may be. I know there's some indicators. There's been frustration. I'm justifying some areas of my life that should not, that I would not approve of in other people. There's some things that irritate me about people and I'm willing to allow the Holy Spirit to investigate that area. I will not do it on my own. I'll only do it with his help. Colby, I want to open myself up to the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I see the indicators. I know that there's some stuff stirring in me. There's something that God wants to show me because I want to continue in my faith. I want to grow in my faith. And as I discover the stuff in me, I get to discover more stuff in him. Amen? You say, I just want to pray that prayer. I just want to pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, help me see what I can't see in myself so I can grow to be more like you. If that's you, I just want you to stand right where you are. Holy Spirit, help me see. Help me see. See, I think when we open ourselves up 